0: hello everyone and welcome to another learning rebels live and i am really excited to have christy tucker with me here today and i'm here to tell you we did a learn something new wednesday with christy uh last month or earlier this month Time flies. And I tell you what, Christy, that was the best one ever. No offense to any of the other guests that I've ever had, but the conversation happening around this particular Learn Something New has just been fabulous. We've seen people practicing the techniques that you demonstrated, the tool that you demonstrated. People really connected with that. So I wanted just to take another opportunity to thank you for, you know, sharing your knowledge and information with
1: the Learning Rebels audience. And here we are again
0: yeah. talking.
1: It is. It's exciting. And and it was it was really fun to do that, that learn something new and to see all of the responses afterwards. I don't I don't miss teaching and training full time. Mm-hmm. Like but you know, our work is behind the scenes and we don't get to see the student reactions as much as I did er- at earlier points in my career. And it has been really fun to see, I think I've seen four different people who have, who have said, I've already tried this out and I've applied something and I've used Twine and I've built something. And it is really cool to teach something and see somebody actually applying it right away. And we don't, we often miss those opportunities I think as instructional designers.
0: Yeah, exactly. And especially when you turn into a consultant role like yourself. So Christy Tucker here, our uh, learning experience design consultant, guru, extraordinaire, all of those things, a generous person, fabulous human just to hang out with, you know, so I I love spending time with you, Christy. So I'm just going to turn this over to you real quick so you can give a, a formal introduction, if you will, to who you are, what you do.
1: So I am Christy Tucker. Uh, Most people know me through my blog and I know that that uh, URL popped up and I'm sure that we'll get it popped up here again. But I work sort of at the intersection between technology and storytelling and so I use storytelling and technology to create online learning that helps engage learners and change behaviors so that things transfer the workplace. I have been working on my own I started my business in 2011, so I'm more than 10 years on my own. Congratulations. Next year, I'll hit 20 years of being in instructional design. I was a trainer, and I started as a teacher and a trainer, and I know we'll do a little of that, but I've been in the field for a while, and these days, really focusing especially on scenario-based learning and branching scenarios, and those are the projects that are the most fun for me and the projects that I'm at this point in my career now that I've been doing it a little more and I'm where I'm at this point of teaching others to do things that that's the stuff that I'm uh, working on helping others to be successful with. Mm -hmm. And it was clear. It was
0: clear on our Learn Something New Wednesday that you really enjoy doing those branching scenarios and using those tools and, and walking through it. You know, so that part was evident, which leads me actually to my, my first question mm-hmm. is that pathway, right? How do you get there from here type of story is I, I don't know of anyone who really just raised their hand and said, I want to go into corporate L&D when I grow up. No, I don't know anyone who has taken that path. That path has started from somewhere else. Uh And so Uh one of the reasons I really wanted to talk to you today was we know all about Christy Tucker, the developer, Uh you know, and the good work that you do. But I would love for everyone to get to know Christy Tucker, the story, you know, so How did your
1: journey begin? So I have a bachelor's degree in music education. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And I taught K-12 music and band. I taught in a school that was K-12 all-in-one building in rural Illinois, east of Springfield. Okay. And I taught there for a year. And then I taught in Peoria for two years. I taught middle school in Peoria. Wow. Okay. And god bless the middle school teachers because they have a gift. Oh my gosh, all the power all to the, middle, the power school to middle school teachers. I can't cut it as a middle school teacher. I don't have it.
0: <laughs> well, there's a little bit of honesty, I mean, appreciate like that, it.
1: That is like the truth of it is that I I just I don't have it in me. So I switched to corporate software training. I did um a lot of going around to different businesses and teaching people how to use Microsoft Office. Okay. And or having people come in. I worked for a company that had a classroom and we had people come in and do those things. And so I, I did that that work and i and I found that I really liked working with adult learners. You know, for mm-hmm. one thing, there's nothing that adult learners can do that scares me after having taught 14-year-old girls. I mean 14-year-old <laughs> girls I <just> mean. <laughs> Um, having having bad for a former 14-year-old girl. <laughs> like, <laughs> right? But but so, like, I, I really liked teaching adult learners. But I also discovered that um, when I was training, I was working with materials that other people had created. And I missed the creation part of it and the curriculum planning from teaching. And so I had when that training job the office i was training at working out of closed and i was looking for a new job doing research and like oh this like instructional design thing sounds pretty cool and it took me a long time to get that first job and in the meantime mm-hmm. i did substitute teaching and scoring writing samples on tests and oh wow scoring writing samples with rubrics i, I did that for a while at seven. Oh my gosh! Okay. Uh, Yeah. So I I did, um, which was still good experience, just terrible pay. (laughs) And and then I got an instruction design job at a for profit online university, and that was really where I got I got my ID experience. At the time, you know, in two thousand four, frankly, there there weren't that many instruction designers out there, and so we were doing a lot of hiring people from other fields and then training them on the job. Yeah.
0: I mean, that sounds very familiar.
1: Half the people were former teachers or we had a real range of degrees. We did have a few people who had master's degrees in instruction design or organizational development or something related, but mostly we were getting other people and training them. And so that was really, was such a good environment to start out and to have all of that support to do the training for new people that I think there's so many jobs now that even the entry-level jobs sort of expect people to have experience Mm -hmm. or or expect them to be hundred percent from day one and to not give them that time to ramp up. Right.
0: And so how did you, so when you think about going from middle school
1: and music specifically, right. Do you play an instrument? I do. I play French horn and I play piano. I sing in the choir, I've directed Handbell Choir. I I mean, I I learned to play all the instruments at one point.
0: (laughs) I'll look forward to seeing a French horn in your next conference session.
1: I did have my horn for one of my online presentations once. I played the opening to the Star Trek theme, because that's a horn. Bum, 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 bum. Oh, my god! So so one of these times where we're gonna have to make an excuse, and I'll have to, I'll have to get out the music for that and play it for you sometime. Yeah,
0: I, I want to go to that <laughs> session. So now thinking about how, again, it's like, how do we get there from here? That's a leap, you know, so I've, I've spoken to teachers who want to make that transition from education to corporate learning and a lot of them start maybe at the high school level right because you're you're talking about young adults maybe moving into the corporate field and that seems like a i won't say a smooth transition but a smoother transition so if you think about middle your area middle school learning music and then going okay well maybe i can teach people software and so now how did you build that skill to say okay now i feel like eventually i feel like i can i can actually do this whole corporate learning thing right. you know i can do it and i can do it with a degree of competence and confidence how did you manage that
1: so one of the things that did help was that in the middle school where i taught i was the teacher that all the other teachers came to for technology help even though we didn't oh, have okay. a technology specialist I definitely had that reputation as if you're having trouble in Excel or PowerPoint, you would come to Christy and, and come with the question. So mm-hmm. I already had some experience of informally teaching people the how to use those tools. And so I think having taken that two-year sidestep into corporate training did make this transition easier because it already worked for State mm-hmm. Farm and Caterpillar and Walmart and I mean, like a country and mm-hmm. Nestle, like I'd done a bunch of big name companies and I'd been in their environments and working for them and talking to their employees. So even though then my first insertion design job was university instead of corporate, I at least had some corporate experience. And I had worked for, mm-hmm. I had worked at a call center in college. I had done some other business things beforehand. And, and even those summer jobs made a difference in making me feel comfortable being in that corporate environment. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest shifts for me was I went from, as a music teacher, I was the expert in everything. I knew my subject matter and I it was all down to me. right? And in corporate learning, you have to give up being the expert. You're the expert in learning, you're the expert in technology, you're the expert in you know, presentation, visual skills, storytelling, whatever, you are not the expert in the content. And that was such a big shift for me that I realized that even from coming from the software training where, and, and the other thing was that like I had written say job you know, instructor notes for myself, But the notes that were just enough for me to remember what to do isn't anywhere near enough to make an instructor guide that somebody else can use and writing it out enough that somebody else can use it and so both of those were were the sticking points for me Uh in getting to that point
0: there is a mindset shift that you need to make isn't there
1: there is and and so my my first corporate instruction design job was for accenture so i did switch from like Yeah. I mean, very briefly, (laughs) like it's not, but, but again, like I get to, you know, have that name on there and I switched from, that was sort of the first job I got and I was doing effectively software training was what we were working on. So it was at least more familiar to things that I had done before. I had a place where I could connect it because I had done software training things before and it did help. I was in a team and there were other people around and so I wasn't doing things on my own. All of that did help me. I think that it is, it is one of the challenges for people who are starting out trying to jump right into freelancing. And sometimes you have to, but it's hard to do that if you're not part of a team. And I had, I had a team at that first insertion design job. I had a team at Accenture. I had a team at the third job I was at. I I worked in the the for-profit education world a bit more Mm -hmm. as well. And so but again, we had teams of people and even a small team not being the only person there does make a difference. Right. That transition, not trying to do everything, it helps you see beyond your own walls. Yeah. Cuz you need those other perspectives. This leads me really
0: to my next question, which is you know, learning rebels all about thinking differently about learning and development, taking it to new places and really breaking out of the silos that sometimes we put ourselves in, right? Sometimes it's our own fault that we're in places that we are in. And one of the things that I've always appreciated about you, Christy, was just taking a different approach, you know, and that's with a lot of your technology background. And clearly with some of the background that you have, dealing with different audiences forces you to think things in a different way. Was there a tipping point I know in my career, there was that tipping point where I went, there has got to be an easier way. And I won't tell that story now, but that, that was the thought in my head. There's got to be an easier way. And that led me down a different path. Was there a tipping point for you? In terms
1: of, of having an, an easier way for things or uh, a broader perspective? Shift? Yeah, just
0: thinking about L&D from a different perspective, because when we think about our own journeys in this career, we're surrounded by a lot of wisdom and knowledge from the past, right? Which sometimes is good and sometimes has baggage. So was there a point where you said, "Uh, you know, this is more baggage than good. And I, I really need to start thinking about this differently. And then that took you down an entirely
1: different route. Was there that moment? So I don't know that it was a particular exact moment, but I did have, so one of the instructional design jobs I did was, with a company uh, that did graduate courses for teachers, this was a nice, like, kind of it. Right, used my previous teaching experience, but it's a for-profit company that provided it to smaller universities. So it's sort of in that in-between company and education realm. I I, I worked in that that for a while. They were extremely invested in learning styles.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Every course that we did, the full first week was on like evaluating your learning styles and reflecting on your learning styles and all of these different things and with their proprietary assessment. And I had been taught learning styles when I got my education degree. It absolutely was a thing that I had been taught and and learned and believed improved my teaching and the sample I made to get my first instruction design job dealt with learning styles. And I mean, like, yes. I'm very invested in that. And then one of those studies came out comparing all of the stuff and looking at it and saying, yeah, this thing that we thought like that, that research doesn't actually hold up. And when we really look at the reliability and, and validity of these studies, it's much weaker than what we thought. And it just sort of like, Blew up everything, and and I don't know how active you were in like that. I was sort of pretty, fairly active in the in the edu blog, blogosphere at the time. Like the edublogs blogs mm-hmm. was like a big thing, and this was a big, big controversial thing that everybody was talking about. And I was not immediately convinced. There was a moment after reading. I mean, I read the whole eighty or ninety page PDF and like read through it. And it's like I've got a problem here because I'm in a job where I have to push learning styles as a requirement of continuing to work here, and I'm having some real problems with this. We didn't... I, I didn't win. I certainly did not win all of that. We did end up taking it out so it wasn't the first week of every course anymore, and we did eventually soften some of the things of this, and I was able to take it out of the facilitator training and and at least change some things the company owner was also into neuro-linguistic programming so we had some of that stuff in there too which is another whole whole other mess of things and i'm like yeah you say so in this course you say research says can you cite can can i get a citation for this oh well it's in this book okay well not every book is research can we is there research in that well no it's just this guy's opinion cool let's not call that research
0: right (laughs) um that does not qualify as research
1: i will say in looking back i think that that is a, a turning point for me in in being skeptical both about the things that i was taught and about the things that i'm reading and looking for how to teach myself the learning science and because i don't have a master's degree in instruction design and i'm all self-taught in this field and so i soaked up all the things all of the free webinars and resources from the learning guild and everything I could get my hand on at least free um, and bought Mm -hmm. some books and, and did the stuff to read up and reteach myself and to look for the ways not that we're going to win every battle and get things hundred percent. We cannot, we're not going for hundred percent, but that we can at least word multiple choice questions in ways that are better and aligned to science. Right or that we can do those things, and I think that that one was a big, that certainly was a big shift in in things I had to unlearn for myself.
0: I agree with that. I think there was a big shift for me as well, where you were like, "Oh, I can't depend on that research," quote unquote research. Right, I can't depend on that, and I had been depending on that. It
1: was published in journals. <laughs> I mean, there was that. we that absolutely. I learned it in that psych. It, absolutely
0: and i love that you use that as a catalyst to opening up and saying you know maybe it's time for me to do my own research you know and do the reading right so i i love that whole outlook and i wish that more of the people in our profession would take that outlook and i know that time is always is always an issue You know, I don't have the time to read all of this research. I don't have time to be, you know, doing all of this. But I think maybe if we make it a little bit of time during the course of our day, Mm -hmm. then we can expand our minds a lot more. So I love that. Thank you for that example. Now, for those people who are transitioning, maybe they're listening to us right now and they're going, I'm a teacher right now or I'm transitioning out of this. You know, I just don't know if I have value. What would you say? Did you have those moments of self doubt?
1: Oh yeah. So the first year that I was working as an instructional designer, I kept having these thoughts of like, wait, shouldn't they get a grown up to do that, like a real person? <laughs> and I, sw- despite the fact that okay, I was let's see, um, <laughs> I, how would I have been at that point? I don't know, twenty five, and and I, but there, like, there was this like, wait, like. I don't know that I can do this thing. And admittedly, like, not to brag, I I was actually good at my job. I I got promoted six months into it and then I got promoted six months after that. Like, I know that, like, objectively, other people looking at my stuff and, and doing things that I was good at what I was doing. But there was a lot of time there where I was, in that first year as I ramped up, I was not actually confident in... Being able to to do things, and it did help that we were in an environment where I, I mentioned before that first job we did a lot of internal training. The other thing that really did help me was so much of even even I, I know I mentioned that it was that at that job with the learning style stuff, but I had already found what was then the e-learning guild and not the learning guild. I had gotten on their email mm-hmm. list and I was doing that and you know, reading their stuff and and looking for the things that I could read online and trying to pick up those things to learn because there's insertion design is too broad of a field. You can never learn all of it. You just can't. Right. So you have to give up that idea that you're going to learn it all. But that doesn't mean you give up on the idea that you should be learning all the time. I did look for the, okay, maybe I can't do this yet, but I'm going to keep working on growing and improving. And that sort of got me through it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to pretend that I did not have moments of panic in that. I hadn't been used to running meetings. And I remember the first time um, Amy Peterson, who was my my manager and who had been mentoring me and the curriculum, we were, we were getting on a meeting. And it had been a lot of her running meetings and me like kind of sitting in and seeing how and, and doing things. And five minutes before the call went live, she's like, Oh wait, you're going to run this one. Oh, hello. And I was like, um, and i did and and maybe it was like it was okay and she was right there so like she didn't abandon me a- afterwards i'm like amy i need you to tell me a little bit more in advance when i'm going to run the meeting because it made me anxious to do so mm-hmm. literally that like how to run a virtual meeting thing and how to run a conference call and and keep everybody on agenda that was a thing and so it was a lot of learning and a lot of then asking for help when I got in over my head. The good news is, you know, we, we work in this field where people are pretty generous. And I had yeah. a lot of people who, who did help when I reached out.
0: Well, I think that's the lesson, isn't it? You know, the lesson is to don't be afraid to reach out. And it's understandable if you have those sorts of insecurities or doubts about whether or not you're the grown-up in the room. I I can totally relate to that.
1: You know, and find that mentor. Yeah. And even if it's not one mentor, I I will say people get hung up on that idea of one mentor. There's a zillion people who are out there sharing stuff. You're sharing stuff and I'm sharing stuff. And, you know, there's a bunch of people out there sharing. You can do what Bianca Woods called the stealth mentoring. You follow people's stuff online and you pick up all of their stuff. Right. Right. Like you (laughs) follow their stuff. And even if they aren't like necessarily giving you the one on one, you could There is a lot of stuff that you can learn out there for free or very inexpensive.
0: Absolutely. And it's just a matter of finding the person that you can connect with. You know, you may not connect with me, Shannon Tipton, Learning Rebels. I might not be your cup of tea. That's okay. But maybe somebody else is. So don't give up on that. Find the person who you can really resonate with, even if it's in secret, right? (laughs) You're a secret stalker, and I and I'm I'm a secret stalker to a yes. lot of people. So that, that that's a benefit. Okay, well we're we are almost at time now. We're going to this is where I'm going to break out the questionnaire for you, Christy. So for those of you, you might remember that James Lipton hosted the Actor Studio, and at the end of every Actor Studio, he would ask his guests ten questions that were based on the Proust questionnaire. And so I took those questions and kind of flipped them around a little bit so I could make them the Learning Rebels questionnaire. So this is sort of a rapid fire, no need to expand, but just let's go down the list and see where Christy lives a little bit. All right. Are you ready, Christy? I hope so. All right, first off, when you think of all of the ways and types of content that you develop, blogs, simulations, branching, et cetera, first question, what is your favorite content development tool?
1: Twine—it's got to be twine at this point.
0: What is your least favorite content development tool?
1: Ooh, Captivate, I might. Yeah.
0: What is the skill that every L and D professional needs to have? Listening. What skill is overrated?
1: Making clicky, clicky, bling, bling.
0: (laughs) Credit Cammy, right? What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Author. What profession would you not like to do?
1: Factory work.
0: Who is your favorite superhero? Ooh. Uh, Captain Marvel. Who's your least favorite superhero?
1: Green Lantern. <laughs> Poor Green Lantern. Poor Green Lantern, I know. Poor Green Lantern. Yeah. What makes you laugh?
0: Uh, my daughter. And in a perfect world, what L&D practice would you change?
1: I, in a perfect world, would have us all at least trying to do better by the science and using evidence-informed strategies.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for your time today, Christy. Tell
1: people, where can they find you? And you can find me at christytuckerlearning.com. That's my blog. And otherwise, you are welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn if we are not already connected. Fabulous. Thank you again. It's always a
0: joy talking to you. And thank you for spending your time this afternoon with me. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. All right. And so now for uh, our Learn Something New, our upcoming Learn Something New, as we just had one with Christy. Our next one coming up on June the 12th is with Don Becker. To game or not to game? That's the question where we're going to be discussing and working with game mechanics and methodologies. And You can find more information about Learn Something New, as well as Learning Rebels Coffee Chat on the Learning Rebels event page found on learningrebels.com, as well as all sorts of additional information on the Learning Rebels community, which you can also find at learningrebels.com. So thank you very much, everyone, for participating with us today. And I look forward to seeing you, Christy, at another conference.
1: I'm sure our paths will cross. Yeah, I'm sure they will. Um, the next one I'm going to in person is TechLearn. I don't know if you'll be at that one, but uh, yeah. ah, yay! Uh,
0: I will not be at TechLearn, but I will be at Core Four in DC. So if anyone's going there, I can see you in Washington, D.C. Woohoo! All right, all right. Thank you thank very you much. Shannon. Bye for now, everyone. Stay curious. Be rebellious. Take over the world. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. For more content like this, or to begin your own podcasting journey, head on over to obsidian-productions.com.